Let's give the choir a hand. Thank you, guys. We're so glad you're here. And as they mentioned, if you're visiting, um, we'd love for you to fill out one of these connection cards. And also, if you're a regular attendee, uh, this helps us keep in touch with you guys and know what prayer question you may have. We want to welcome you to Arden First. Our mission here is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty ordinary. But I think Jesus living inside me through the Holy Spirit makes the ordinary extraordinary. Amen. So God can do something great in your life today. Uh, we've been studying the book of James and we've been talking about real life and real faith. And this has been such a practical series. It's been said that James has enough convicting verses. It's like needle in a haystack. Every needle is going to pierce one of her hearts. There's, there's so many things. Um, Every other verse gives almost like an imperative, a command. So today we're going to talk about a a subject that's um, really challenging for all of us, myself included. We're going to talk about how, even in the midst of hard times, it's good to be slow to speak. How many of us go to that? Quick to listen and slow to get angry. I'm not going to ask anyone to raise their hands, but it's something I struggle with. In fact, my wife's in the nursery today. I found myself last night trying to tell a joke to my wife and the joke wasn't taken very well and I had to apologize and I'm like I got to practice what I'm preaching being slow to speak how many of you guys ever stick your foot in the mouth you're trying to be humorous but your spouse doesn't find it very funny okay (laughs) so I'm not the only one Um, I came across a story about a guy named Steve Tran and uh, I figured I'd give this story since many of you uh, have children or grandchildren going to college or going back to school well, Steve Tran was kind of like the normal bachelor where he lived in an apartment. And the problem is he had roommates he didn't really enjoy. And I don't know if any of you guys remember college life where you have roommates that just get on your nerves. Well, these roommates were kind of lazy. They would sleep all day and stay up all night. And Steve just, the more he tried to get rid of these roommates, the more they seemed to hang around. And they were so dirty that when Steve would drop food on the ground, these roommates would even eat food off the ground or between the the cushions of the couch. And (laughs) how many of you would like to have roommates like this? Some of you are like, I hope I don't get, they call it roommate roulette in college. You get the wrong roommate. Well, Steve decided one day that he was going to get rid of these roommates. These roommates were roaches, not people. And so he decided, I'm going to open up. They were called active bug bombs. And you would put one at the most two bug bombs to get rid of all the roaches. Any of you ever put off a bug bomb in your house? You know, they're pretty strong. So Steve, uh, being like many bachelors, decided, you know what, I'm going to go all out. I want to get rid of these roaches once and for all. So Steve let out 25 bug bombs into his house. And as these bug bombs were released... They ignited the pilot light on the stove, and it blasted his screen door across the street. It burst all the windows in his apartment, and it caused more than $10,000 in damage in his apartment building. And the roaches, you may ask, Steve said just a few days later, by Sunday, they were still crawling around. True story, by the way, true story. So you ask, you know, okay, what what does that have to do with anything, Timothy? Well... Anger is kind of like that. We feel like if we just let a little steam off, it's going to take care of the problem. But often anger does more harm than good. 
Can I get an uh-huh? So James, just a little preview, he's going to say, you know, we've been talking about trials and how hard they are. And even though life seems bad, God is still good. We've been talking about temptations and how God never tempts us, but we're tempted. We're drawn away by our own desires and enticed. And we talked about last week, you know, don't let sin conceive and give birth to a baby called sin. When temptation and allurement come together and you yield to it, it produces sin. So James is going to give us some practical wisdom. And he's going to say, even in the hardest times, there's a little secret. And we're going to talk about it in James 1.19. How many of you are ready to get into God's word today? Say amen. All right. Now we got your curiosity. Erase your mind of roaches right now. James 1 verse 19. It says, so then, my beloved brethren. And you think about what he's talked about before. Trials, temptations, everything you're going through. He gives us this conclusion. Let every man, every woman, be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And he gives the reason why. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would help us to understand how that you want us to listen more, talk less, and keep our cool, even when times get really hard. And Lord, I know many within the sound of my voice and those listening online are going through trials and are going through major temptations. So, Father, help us to understand what your word has to say. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to cover just three verses. And these are verses that are very convicting. I have to be the first to say I fall short of these verses. And as I prepared this, I had to often ask God to forgive me on each point. So if you say, ouch, you're in good company. So today I'm going to give you a few practical ways of how to talk less, listen more, and keep your cool, even when the life around you gets heated. The first one is this, recognize your identity. You are loved by God because you belong to God. Notice in verse 19, James calls them beloved brethren. Now James is really smart. I I love how He uses what I call the biblical sandwich method. You ever heard of that? You give someone a compliment, your beloved brethren. Then you give a really harsh, you need to get right with God moment. Then you give a compliment. You guys ever notice that? So he starts in verse 19, beloved brethren. He's going to tell us some hard stuff. And then he's going to end verse 21, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So he starts off very positive and ends positive, but the sandwich is the ouch sandwich. So recognize your identity it says that we are beloved what does beloved mean it means that you are loved by god it's as simple as john three sixteen. for god so loved you that he gave the greatest gift of the universe his only son not only are you beloved but your brethren your brothers and sisters in christ so you're loved by god and you belong to god but isn't it easy sometimes to forget our identity we forget that i'm loved by god and I belong to God. The famous artist in the 1800s, Paul Gustave Doré, he lost his passport while he's traveling through Europe. And he didn't know what to do. He, he talked to the border guards and said, listen, I am Paul Gustave Doré. And I've, I've happened to lost my passport. Please let me pass. And the, the passport guards, the border patrol said, well, that's easy. So many people every day pretend to be someone famous. 
And they're not really, they do it just to get by. And they said, but we're going to give you a test to see if you really are the famous artist. So they, he pointed over next to him, there were some uh, really poor people. And he said, I want you to sketch a picture of these poor people. And Gustave started sketching it so well and so quickly. When they saw what he did, they said, okay, you're the real deal. His work confirmed his word. And how many of us as Christians, we know we're beloved, we know we're brethren, but how many of us, our life matches our language? How many of us, our walk matches our talk? And I think James is trying to help us, okay, we know who you are, you know who you are, but are you walking it daily? Are you living it? The second thing we need to realize is not only who we are, our identity, but number two, develop better people skills. I don't know about you, but um, sometimes I encounter people that have horrific people skills. I'm sometimes part of that uh, at times. But have you ever been to a restaurant and they're kind of upset that you're even there? You know, like, what are you doing here? We close in 30 minutes. Anybody ever had that? Or you go to, say, a fast food restaurant and you can tell the person checking out really wish that you weren't there. You know, you don't pay me enough to wait on you type mentality. Well, that exists everywhere, but also exists sometimes in our own lives. And James says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And we're going to unpackage that in just a moment. But these are three really great people skills. Before, people started re- releasing books like Emotional Intelligence 2.0 and how to have greater IQ and EQ, James gives us some great people skills. If you practice this, this will help your relationships. Um, the funny thing is I think a lot of the bestsellers that are New York Times bestsellers list, sometimes you wonder if they rip off the Bible, right? It's like, okay, James talked about people skills before they even wrote about it. But Chuck Swindoll, many of you know the famous pastor uh, currently in Texas, um, he, he wrote about a time when, whenever he was really busy, in a busy time of life, And his daughter, Colleen, they were having dinner one night, and she said, Daddy, I want to tell you something that happened to me today, and I'm going to tell you really, really fast. And Chuck just realized with her words that he had put his family off with busyness, and he felt so guilty. He's like, I'm supposed to be a pastor. Here, I'm neglecting my family. And he said later to her, Honey, you can tell me, and you don't have to tell me really, really fast. Say it slowly. And Swindoll will never forget his daughter's response. She said, Then listen slowly, Daddy. And that hurts every man's heart in here because we've all been guilty of being so busy that we're not listening. So notice James says we've got to listen better. And throughout the whole Proverbs, there's so many verses about listening. I'll read one to you, Proverbs 19.20. It says, listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. Did you know, for those of you who are over 50, you're supposed to be wiser than the rest of us? And the reason why is you've had 50 years to listen to people. You've had 50 years to gain. And um, I had something recently, you guys don't know this person, but I had, I teach a Bible study in Waynesville. And one one of the guys, uh, he was pretty blunt. He said, Timothy, I pretty much, um, you know, don't have to listen anymore because I'm, I'm happy with who I am. And I really don't want to learn. I'm just, I'm, I'm content. He didn't use those exact words. And I said, is that really a good thing that, you know, the old saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Is that really biblical? Is that good? Uh, Part of listening is you can learn something from everyone. The person that takes up your garbage, they can teach you something that you don't know. 
the person that you meet at the grocery store, they can teach you something that you don't know. And if you feel like you can't learn something from everyone, then you have an issue with pride. Because everyone can teach you something. Um, I heard once said that one of the authors I was reading, this actually came from Emotional Intelligence 2.0, Strength Finders book. Uh, they were saying the guy who invented the whole Strength Finders, discovering your passions and abilities, they said he was the youngest, oldest person that you had ever met. Because even in his latter years, he had curiosity. He always wanted to ask questions and learn and grow. Even the guy was a brilliant. He never stopped learning. So James says, listen, Franklin Roosevelt, many of you uh, study him through history. I came across a story that kind of shocked me. Uh, obviously, things have changed with politics. But back in his day, there would be long receiving lines of people that would come and ask for, you know, hey, president, how are you? And Franklin, in that day and time, realized these people aren't listening to a thing I say. They're just going through the motions. It's a long line that they're taking in the White House, but they're not listening. So according to this report, he decided to say something so outlandish it would shock anyone. He, he told the long line, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And that people would say, that's great, President. Good job. And he realized that people were not listening. Finally, someone said, really? And then they said, well, maybe, you know, they just they were stunned by his words. So only one person out of the whole line actually listened. And I'm wondering how many of us are guilty of that. I've heard it said it's better to be interested than interesting. You ever think about that? Many of us want to be interesting to people, especially the younger we are, the more we want to impress, it seems like. And sometimes we don't grow out of that. But think about that. It's better to be interested instead of interesting. Because everybody tries to be interesting at some point in their life, but how many of us are truly interested in someone else? So I did a lot of research, and I've compiled ten things, I think, that will help us. It'll help me. It'll help you. These are what I call the Ten Commandments of Listening. And I think this alone will help us apply being a better listener. The first one is this, if you look at your listening guide. Use proper listening posture. So I asked my wife last night, how am I doing with this? And she said, Timothy, whenever you don't want to listen to me, you're kind of always walking. You're like, "Uh uh-huh, and you can repeat what I say, but you're not in a listening stance. Does anybody know what a listening posture is? It's kind of where you're leaning in towards the person instead of away, arms crossed. So uh, how many of you, when your spouse, your son, your daughter listen, you're so distracted? How many of you want to drop everything, gentlemen, pause the sports center espn and actually lean forward to a conversation ouch that's hard that's the first one it hopefully gets easier the second one it's been said by many people seek to understand before seeking to be understood a lot of times we're so apt to talk because we want to share what we want to share but we're not seeking to understand the other person so seek to understand before seeking to be understood number three Tell me if you're guilty of this as I am. Let the other person finish talking before we interrupt. How many of you enjoy someone interrupting you before you finish your sentence? Or as soon as you take a breath, they're already talking. Ouch. (laughs) Number four, acknowledge the reality of the other person's feelings. You know, when someone's sharing their heart, it's it's good to say, "I, I I hear what you're saying. You're really upset. You're struggling. Acknowledge the reality of their emotions, because that's important. Number five, 
I thought this was a really good tip I came across. Encourage the other person to elaborate on key items. So if they said, I had a bad day today, tell me about that. How did that make you feel? And this will help you to become a better listener. So you ask them to elaborate. Number six, and this is really the crux of it all, learn to ask better questions. I think the challenge with a lot of our listening abilities is we don't ask good questions. We ask kind of closed questions. How was your day? Or we ask, did you have a good day? Yes or no? Instead of tell me about your day. Um, so seek open-ended questions. Allow them to talk more. Number seven, repeat the summary of what you heard the other person say. If it was a long conversation, um, let's say you're at night, spouse conversation, it's really good tip just to say, here's what I heard you say about your day. And then they, they understood that you actually listened. Number eight, pay attention to your talk-listen ratio. Seek a two-to-one ratio of listening to talking. <laughs> if you're like me, it's the opposite. You have a, a, a one-to-two ratio. You talk twice as much as you listen. How many of you are guilty of that? All right. We've got some honest people in, in the room. Number nine, if there's a problem or issue at hand, seek to provide a solution. I've heard it say with leadership, never present a problem unless you're willing to offer a solution. I think that's a really good tip. I don't mind problems as long as you're going to work towards a solution. So when it comes to relationships with family members, with coworkers, if you're going to present a problem, also try to present a solution. And number 10, don't make promises you can't keep. If you're listening and they're presenting a problem, um, don't make promises you can't follow through on. These are the 10 commandments of listening. I feel like if we just work on one or two of these, this will help us dramatically apply. Let everyone be quick to hear. Now, let me ask you guys a question. When you're in a trial, when you're going through a hard time, what's use of the tendency? We are quick to talk, slow to listen, and quick to get angry. But James says you've got to reverse it all around. Listen more, talk less, and learn how to curve your anger. The second thing he says is speak less. Because if you're talking, you're not listening. Psalm 141.3 is so, such a good verse. It says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. That's so precious verse. And then the next verse, Proverbs 10.19, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrain his lips is wise. I find it in my life, the things that I regret I said because I was talking too much. Can anyone else relate? Whenever you're saying too much, sometimes you're like, I didn't really mean what I said. Well, you said it. And you can't really take it back. You can only ask for forgiveness. So learn to listen better, speak less, and also curve your anger. Look at Proverbs 16.32. It says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So uh, my friend Brian Robbins brought up a good point. He says, anger turn outward turns into an outburst of wrath. So if I have anger and I let it out, it's an outburst of wrath. But Pastor Robbins said, anger turn inward brings resentment and bitterness. So you, normally your tendency, if you're an expressive person, you have a tendency to have an outburst of anger. If you're not as expressive, you're more reserved, then the anger can turn into bitterness and resentment. But either way, either either way is detrimental. One hurts others and yourself, and the other hurts primarily you. So is it ever okay to be angry? What do you guys think? 
Absolutely. But the key to anger, it's got to be slow to come and quick to go. The problem with most of our anger, it's quick to come and slow to go. There is a sense that righteous anger is a good thing, but how, mu- how many times is our anger righteous? How many times is our anger just selfish or a lack of patience? So in Ecclesiastes 7, 9, it says, Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. As I was talking to my wife, I wrote down her saying, she gave me a saying last night, Anger puts up walls while patience breaks down walls. So anger puts up walls and patience breaks down walls. So I want you to think about that. If I'm angry, I'm going to put a wall between me and you. How many of you have ever met someone that was angry and you wanted to be just like them? Said nobody ever, right? It's like, you know, I, I have a friend that just flies off the handle and just loses his cool. And I want to be just like that person when I grow up. No one ever said that, right? Because anger, I didn't say it. The Bible says it. It says if you lose your cool often, it says anger rests in the bosoms of what? Fools. That's being foolish. That's not living up to your true identity. So you notice how James compliments you. You're beloved. You're loved by God. And you're a brethren. But he said, by the way, if you're angry, that's not a good thing. You're not living up to your identity. So number three, remember who's really in charge. Look at verse 20. It says, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I remember I went to a Christian school in high school, and I remember one of the teachers said, I'm going to beat the devil out of somebody. I remember that saying. Anybody ever heard that old saying? And as I read James 1.20, I'm like, that saying is the complete opposite. It says, your wrath, your anger will never bring about a righteous cause. So here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with being an activist or taking a stand for something. But I think a lot of times the issue we deal with, we deal with the fruit and not the root of the problem. The root of the problem is people's hearts. We're dealing with the bad things they're doing. A lot of times as Christians, we're known more for what we're against than what we're for. And I think what we have to do, the solution to all of mankind's problems is the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. And I think the more we present Jesus Christ in the gospel, we present the solution instead of just hacking off the rotten fruit. You guys with me? Say amen. Only God can change people's hearts. And I think churches have done their best to try to, you know, present behavior and talk about sin. And that's fine as long as it results out of a changed heart. Because if there's no changed heart, all you have is a glorified moralism. You have right and wrong, but there's no changed heart. And people keep going back into sin because... If your heart changes, your whole world changes. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. So what happens, you know, when someone does you wrong? Because that's why we get anger, right? The wrath of man. What do you do? Well, Romans 12, verses 19 through 21, give us three solutions. And this is on your listening guide. The first one is this. Overcome evil with evil. That's payback. Many of you who are more um, forthcoming with anger, you like to pay back. I'll show you, right? Wrong. (laughs) Number two is be overcome by evil. For those of you who are more, uh, we talked about this on Wednesday night, you know, you're more people-pleasing. You don't want to hurt anybody. So you'll let them run over. You become a doormat. That's equally wrong. So it's not right to overcome evil with evil or be overcome by evil. But there's a third solution that the Apostle Paul gives us. Overcome evil with good. 
That's to be a peacemaker. So instead of letting anger get the best of you, allow James's words to marinate in your soul. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. And if you're listening and you're not talking, anger is more curved. Number four, put off that which is putting off to God and to others. Put off that which is putting off to God and to others. So he says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Now, that, that word lay aside, in the original Greek, it's once and for all. It's the idea of you have dirty clothes. Any of you guys ever worked out in the farm or, you know, done something out in the hot weather and you're all sweaty and nasty and the clothes are so bad you just feel like throwing them away? That's kind of the word picture. Throw away these nasty clothes and instead be clothed with the righteous clothes of Christ, spiritually speaking. So I came across an interesting story about a man. He was at this beautiful resort, this country club, and he got arrested because he wasn't wearing the dress code. And they, they, they interviewed this guy and said, what, why were you, what were you doing at this club? And after further investigation, they found out the guy was the owner of the country club. He just had wore just normal clothes and wasn't dressed up, and they had arrested him because they thought he was trespassing. True story. So a lot of times we claim to be Christian, but spiritually we're still wearing the old garbs of sin and depravity. We're still walking in this because our heart really hasn't fully surrendered. And Paul says, lay aside, he says, all filthiness. The word filthiness is used of moral vice. Um, this word was even used of earwax, which you're like, okay, what, what, what does that have to do? Well, let me explain. He's going to, in the next phrase, he's going to say, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. So think about it. The word is spoken, right? So if you have spiritual earwax, it's really hard to hear from God. So what James is saying, even as believers, if you're living in your old lifestyle, you develop spiritual earwax, so to speak. So when God is speaking, you're not hearing because your spiritual hearing is clogged. That can happen even to believers. So James says, get rid of that. Because that's not going to hap- that's not going to help you. And he says the overflow of wickedness. This is also can be translated malice. It's having evil desires or evil intent. So James says, listen, if this is the lifestyle you're living and you claim to be a Christian, you're going to be struggling. And you wonder why God's not speaking to you. You've got to check and see if your spiritual hearing is clear. Have you laid aside those old garments or are you still picking them back up? Number five, embrace God's great word with great humility. So James has told us, listen, when you're in a trial, you're my beloved brother. Be encouraged. So be quick to listen. Be slow to speak, slow to get angry. For God, for man's wrath doesn't bring about God's righteousness. So your self-effort's not going to do it. And then he says, lay aside this filthiness and wickedness. And then he says, receive with what? Meekness. The implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So here's the thing. God's trying to speak to us, but if we're walking in pride, we're not going to receive it. And one, one, of, the, one of the pastors I listened to on this message, he brought up a really good point. He said, if you think about being quick to talk, slow to speak, or excuse me, quick to talk, slow to listen, and quick to get angry, he said the root of all that is pride. Because if I'm prideful, I don't have time to hear you. If I'm prideful, I just want to share what I want to share. If I'm prideful, I'm going to get angry because you've inconvenienced me. So he said, if you can get to the root of pride, 
you can change. Instead of being quick to talk, you're slow to talk. Instead of being slow to listen, you now are a better listener. And instead of outbursts of wrath, you're now self-controlled if you can just get to the root of pride. D.L. Moody said, be humble or you will stumble. Be humble or you will stumble. Winston Churchill was once asked, Mr. Churchill, does it make you feel so great that every time you give a speech that the auditoriums and the town halls are all packed? Does that make you feel good? And Churchill said, it is quite flattering, but whenever I feel that way, I always remember that instead of making a political speech, if I was being hanged, the crowd would be twice as large. So it's all about your perspective. If you're not humble, you're going to stumble. He says, receive with meekness. I love the word meekness. Obviously, it means humility, but it's having like this childlike dependency. I don't want to ever get to the point where I feel like I can't receive from God or from others. I don't want to ever get to the point where I'm so, I'm set in my ways. I'm just not going to listen. Because if you do not have meekness, you're not going to receive what God has for you. You're just going to be receiving sometimes, but not the fullness of what God has William Barclay tells the story of Perdataras. He lived in Sparta, in ancient Greek. And he was on the list of potential candidates. They were going to pick the top 300 to govern Sparta, a very prestigious position. And when he did not get chosen, his friends were trying to console him and said, they made a mistake, you should have been on that list, you were such a good leader. And listen to what he said, I'm glad that in Sparta... There are 300 men better than I am. That's humility. That's changing the way you think about things. But notice it says receive with meekness the what word? Implanted word. Now, I, I drew a connection between last week. For those of you who weren't here last week, we talked about sin. Whenever you have this inner desire and you have this outward allurement, it gives a, a childbirth illustration. And it says when the two come together, you yield to temptation a baby of sin is formed. It's sin that's in a believer's life. So I notice how James gives another implanted illustration. Instead of sin being implanted in your life, he says, let the word be implanted in your life. So it goes like this. Sin will keep you from the word of God or the word of God will keep you from sin. A believer can let sin harm his or her testimony or the word of God to kick out sin. And instead of sin being implanted, the word is implanted. And notice, it says the word which is able to save your souls. Something I didn't learn until later in life, but salvation is not just past tense. A lot of times in church we'll say, thank God for saving me, past tense. That's just the beginning. That's not the finality. So we say it like this, in the past, God saved me from sin's penalty. That's what we call justification, just as if I'd never sinned. In the present tense, God is saving me from sin's power. That's what we call sanctification. Sin no longer has to have power over my life. And in the future, I will be saved from the very presence of sin. That's called glorification. So you see, salvation is past tense, it's present, and it's future. So notice, this says, as you receive God's word, it's going to give you victory and power in your Christian life. Salvation is not a static It's a dynamic thing. It's a living relationship with the living God. I read a story about a guy from India. His name was Ramad. 
And he was the leader of this gang of robbers. And they would pillage different stores and they would enrich themselves. Uh, they would rob small villages. In one raid, Ramad found a small New Testament, you know, like the Gideons give out. And he kept it because it, the paper was just the right size to roll his cigarettes. So his idea was that every day I'm going to roll my cigarette with these pages out of this New Testament pocket size. So as he was rolling one of the cigarettes, he read, started reading some of the verses on the page. And this piqued his interest. And day after day, he kept on. Every time he rolled a cigarette, he would read a Bible verse. And eventually, he became a Christian. He turned himself into the police. Obviously, they arrested him for his gang activity. And he became a mighty evangelist in the prison system. All because of a New Testament that he was smoking. So, application. You're like, Timothy, this sounds... Okay, it's okay. Listen better. I got that. Try not to get ticked off. I got that. Um, talk less. I got that. But how does that affect me tomorrow? Um, when I'm at work um, and somebody really treats me bad, uh, when I'm waiting for the doctor for like two hours in the waiting room, uh, what does this have to do? Well, I'm glad you asked that because this is a time I think we should apply it to our lives. So let's look at work. Whenever your coworker is being rude to you, what would happen instead of being quick to talk, you started asking good questions. We, we talked about the Ten Commandments of listening. And you begin to say, are, are you upset today? I can see you're a little irritable. Instead of getting irritable back at someone who's already irritable, you start asking good questions. And by the way, did you ever know that hurting people hurt people? So someone that's hurting, it's not a reflection of you. It's something inside of them. So maybe as a Christian, we repackage it and say, this person is hurting others because they're hurting inside. And instead of getting quick to be angry, I want to listen to them. I want to ask them to tell me their story. What about if for you gentlemen, you're driving and someone cuts you off? What about you ever see the person that rides your bumper? It's like they just pull up and they're on your tail the whole way. What do you do? I heard this one guy, I thought this was really good. I haven't started practicing yet, but maybe we can do it together. But he said, I always, I used to be very upset when someone would cut me off or ride my bumper. But he said, I I did something new that changed my anger into compassion. And he said, what I do is I always give them an excuse. Maybe that person's driving their wife to the hospital. Maybe the person's uh, running late for work, and if they don't get on time, this is the last time they're going to be fired. So every time that person comes, he gives them an excuse. And maybe you can turn that into a prayer. God, I don't know why they're in a rush, but please help them. And that will help you. Um, At home, for those of you who are married, husbands, how well do you do listening to your wives? (laughs) It's quiet. You know, we can work on that. Wives, are you patient with your husband when he blows it? Do you lose your cool when he just not got it together? Singles, how good are you at being patient how good are you at being a listener parents what about when kids do the unthinkable what about when your kid just gets on your nerves and this applies to grandkids what would happen if you talked less and let them talk more listen so many times as parents we try to fill the silence but sometimes if we're to silent believe it or not your kids will speak up and you can hear what's going on in their hearts and for teenagers kids college students Um, How well do you do 
when your parents ask you to do something. For those of you home from college break, your parents ask you to take off the trash, and you're like, you get kind of upset. Remember, it's receive with humility the implanted word. So your take-home truth is this. Listen more, talk less, and keep your cool. And watch your relationships grow to new heights. If someone sees you as a person that's a good listener, guess what? They're going to share their hearts with you. If they see you as a person that's got self-control, they're going to feel it. They're going to let down their guard and listen to you. They want to be with you. So your action step, take someone out to lunch and ask really good questions. Work on being a better listener. We all can work on that. I know myself for sure. Ask questions like, tell me what makes you passionate. What is one thing you wish you could change in your life right now? And just be silent, be present, and watch them open up their hearts. So James gives us practical wisdom. And by the way, all righteousness and all godliness is practical. It's how do we live it out in our daily lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I know that throughout this whole message, we've heard you tell us to be quick to listen. And sometimes, God, we're really slow. We're horrible listeners. Um, We don't listen as well as we should or as we could. So help us practice the Ten Commandments of listening, as we talked about, to be a better listener. And God, so many times we're quick to talk and we're quick to get angry. God, help us to work on realizing that It's not just about us. It's about Jesus and it's about others. And Father, where we fall short of being good listeners and where we fall short of losing our cool, God, we know there's grace in you when we pray for your forgiveness. And right now as we continue to pray, if there be one here today that would say, Timothy, you know, I I fall short in all these areas, but I realize the main area I need to surrender is my life to Jesus Christ. I've never surrendered my total life to him. And right now where you're sitting, if you believe that Jesus Christ is good and that he's God, he lived the perfect life that you couldn't live, he died in your place and he rose again, right where you're sitting, to say, Lord Jesus, I know I need to surrender my life to you. I've ran. I haven't been the person that you want me to be. And I know that you offer forgiveness at the cross. So Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. I pray that you would give me a brand new start. Step out of heaven and into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. And I turn from my old life. And I run towards the new life. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Help us to live out the message of the gospel practically in our daily lives. And help us have great relationships. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.